Well, it keeps me away from the police. I mean, they've been chasing after me for a long time, and this is the only way I can keep on the run. Uh-huh. That's that's the main thing. Okay. But also, there's the FBI, and you know. <laughs> Meet Paula Bow, a full-time traveler and digital nomad from Denmark, on an epic journey around the world. At the age of 50, he made a bold decision. He sold everything and set out on a quest to visit every country in the world, documenting everything along the way. This is The Radio Vagabond. Welcome to another episode with conversations from Extraordinary Travel Festival in Yerevan, Armenia. Already now, we've met Gunnar Garfos, Ilde Kosavo, and Charles Vili, three of the few people who've been to every country in the world. One of them even did it twice. Today, we'll have a theme, hitchhiking. My name is Palabo, and this is The Radio Vagabond, episode 238, Hitchhiking with Francis Tapon. I even, in, in Sierra Leone, I picked up four men with machetes. <laughs> and Daniel Zachary. Whenever I hitchhike... If I am waiting for the ride while simultaneously holding an apple or a banana, it also helps me appear as less threatening. This episode is brought to you in part by Hotels25.com. It's a website that helps you find the best prices on hotels and guest houses and hostels around the world in one simple search. Hotels25.com. The Radio Vagabond. Gotta keep moving. Francis Tapon did a talk on the Extraordinary Travel Festival called Five Years of Non-Stop Overland Travel to 54 African Countries, picking up 3,000 hitchhikers and a bride. And with several TEDx talks, he knows what he's doing when he gets on stage, and we were in for a treat. His mother is from Chile, his father is from France, and Francis himself was born in San Francisco, so he was born with three passports and almost from birth destined for travel. He's fluent in English, French and Spanish and claims that he struggles with Italian, Portuguese, Arabic and Russian. But I have a feeling that he's just being modest. Like me, he travels a lot, but in a very different way. One of the speakers at Extraordinary Travel Festival was my new good friend, uh, Francis Tappan. I thought we've known each other for years. Now. We have not. Maybe you've known me because... Because <laughs> your podcast. That is so weird because uh, you're a legend and uh, the w- way we met was in, in Spain where you came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you Palabo? Because you saw it said, my, my t-shirt said the Radio Vagabond. So I felt like a, a rock star. That, yes, that, that, made yes, my, rock star. that made my year when you did that, Francis. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Having never been to Africa, Francis took the boat there and effectively burned it. He vowed not to return home until he'd climbed the tallest peak in every African country. He expected that he could do that in three years, but his quest took five years to complete. He managed to get to the peak of 50 of the 54 countries. Also, he picked up 3,000 hitchhikers, found a bride, and nearly killed her and her brother. Now he's in the process of writing a book with 54 chapters, one for each country. He's also the author of Hike Your Own Hike and The Hidden Europe. And then he's the host of a podcast called Wonderlearn. I asked him what his biggest claim to fame is. Probably my number one, actually, there's a few, but the two biggest one is the fact that I walked from Mexico to Canada and back. 
and that's about 9,000 kilometers or about 6,000 miles. And it's a seven month trip and it was all outside in the woods, sleeping outside. It didn't have a cooked okay. food and okay. that kind of stuff. So that's one. Hold on, hold on. Oh, uh, let, let that sink in. Okay. Walked from Mexico to Canada. So obviously you walked across the U.S., but mm. where was that? East, west? Uh... It was east, uh, sorry, north to south. Sorry, south to north and then back south again. So it's on the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains is a mountain range that cuts through uh, the United States through uh, five states. It's uh, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. So you had to walk through mountainous terrain as well. No, you don't take yeah, a flat, you're always, flat route. Yeah, yeah. you're always going around between 1,000 to 4,000 meters, which is about, whatever, 3,000 to 14,000 feet. And yeah, it's up and, and down. And, and you're sleeping outside every night. And sometimes I went through 1,000 kilometers of snow, which is about 700 miles of snow. How, how far do you walk every day before you find a place to sleep under a tree? 50 kilometers, uh, 35 miles. Yeah, if it's snow, then I get to do maybe only about 25 kilometers or 20 miles, something around that zone, 30 kilometers, 20 miles, uh -huh. something like that. Yeah. But if it's if snow, slows you down. Yeah. And you walked some more? Yeah, I've walked across America three times. One was the Pacific Crest Trail, twice on the Continental Divide Trail, and once on the Appalachian Trail. I've walked across Spain twice, did El Camino de Santiago. I did. I walked across the Pyrenees, which is from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. I've walked across Madagascar, north to south. That took about four months. That's 3,000 kilometers, 2,000 miles. And then I did the Drakensberg Traverse in South Africa, which is about 300 or 200 kilometers, something like that. The, the, the what? The Drakensberg Traverse, which is on the Lesotho, uh, South African border. It goes through the tallest mountain of South Africa as well as the tallest mountain of Lesotho. Yeah, yeah. And then... So, Sani Pass? Because I, I tried to drive that road, Sani Pass... Uh in a Toyota Corolla. I did a oh. whole episode about oh, that. right. That's right. That's right. You had that <laughs> but nightmare. You didn't, you, didn't, yeah. you didn't walk there. No, I don't remember doing that at all. No, because that's kind of low. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate I'm you. in the mountains. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, passes, seriously, when you go through mountain ranges, a pass, a mountain pass, is the low point okay. of a trail. Because right. think about it. You're going from the peaks. You descend to the pass. The pass is a pass because that's the lowest point that you can go right, you right. can drive a car right. or vehicle over so passes are actually low points on the trail yeah. and you look forward to a pass because then if you need to resupply you can hitchhike from the pass mm -hmm. from Sandy Pass I would have been there with my thumb out saying hey Palibo can you <laughs> give me a hitchhike to civilization oh wait you're in a you're in a Toyota Corolla <laughs> yeah no, forget it yeah. I'm waiting for a 4x4 yeah, I need a real crazy. car <laughs> I need a real car yeah Yeah, and then I walked across half of Morocco, and that's the High Atlas Mountains, which took about two weeks. That was an amazing, fun trip, too. Yeah. So you've spent a lot of time walking, and obviously a very different traveler than me and most of us. You are out there just putting one foot in front of the other again and again and again and again. Why? What does it do to you? Well, it keeps me away from the police. I mean, they've been chasing after me for a long time, and this is the only way I can keep on the run. Uh -huh. That's that's the main thing. Okay, but yeah. also, there's the FBI, and you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, I just, I, I, what do most travelers like? We like movement, to large extent. Yes, we like to move, right? I mean, think about it. even you. You may not want to walk across a country, but you like the process of going from one place to another mm -hmm. and getting to a destination. And then what do you do? You get to the destination, you move around, you explore, even if it's just walking down a beach. But compared to me, what you're doing is in super slow motion. Yeah, okay, I understand that. But, um, yeah, but 
you will walk, let's say, through... You walk through the Louvre. You're walking through slow motion. You're walking through the streets of Paris. You're walking through... You know, it's, it's, you're going at walking pace. Um, you walk a lot, Palais. You, you don't I walk a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. That's uh, When I get to a new place, I right. get out there and I walk. Exactly. And so that's... All I'm just saying is that a long-distance hiking is an extended version of that. Now, granted, the terrain is maybe more monotonous. I mean, because a city is very varied. You walk one kilometer in a city, you see quite a bit of variety mm-hmm. in one kilometer. In the desert, one kilometer, <laughs> you don't see anything. It's the same <laughs> damn desert. <laughs> but still, so it, it does, in that sense, it's slow motion. You're right. But anyway, it, there's there's thrill of, of discovery, even though you're not really discovering something yeah. completely. But it's just that sense of just like moving and, and every step you see something new. Yeah. Do you walk alone or do you walk with somebody and have a long conversation? I have done both and yeah. they both have their pros and cons. Um, so, yeah, uh, solitude is great for reflection. I think one of the problems that we have in the digital age when we have all these devices stuck to our heads and, and, and connected to us is that we don't have time to reflect. And this is what philosophers and all sorts of people in prior generations had is a lot of time to actually think and and I'm guilty because, by the way, I listen to podcasts all the time nowadays. Oh, you do that while you walk as well? Now I would. But uh-huh. back when I did a lot of these hikes that we just discussed, I did not have anything in my ears. Because it was just podcasts weren't a thing or they were just coming around or I just want to minimize my technology, whatever. But could I had a Walkman with a cassette tape. You're right. I could have. <laughs> and in fact, at one point, I did have like an MP3 player, you know, these little simple MP3 players. But there's some benefits to being alone and reflect. That's why you have these detox, digital detox things where they take away your cell phone for a week or two and you have to just meditate for a week or two. You've heard of these little retreats, right? Absolutely. Right. And so that's the benefit of hiking outside is that you ought to just disconnect completely from the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's wisdom in that. I think there's some benefit that you, people can have from that. Mm-hmm. And now more than ever. Yeah. And so that's one benefit. And when, of course, when you do it with a partner, that can be an incredible life bonding exercise. It can also rip you apart if you've got the wrong partner or you're just not compatible for whatever reason. But if it's somebody that you're compatible with, it can be a bond that will last for a lifetime. I've, I've walked with people for just four days. And this guy named Lint, I'm forever connected with him, even though I don't talk to him maybe for a whole year. But if I ever see him again, if I ever want to crash at his house, it's just like you're going to Brisbane in Australia yeah. with a guy you haven't seen in 20, 30 years. 30 years, yeah. Right. But you are forever connected to him for whatever experiences you jointly had together. Yeah. Well, walking together does that. Yeah. And I can take anything you can throw at me and nothing can get me down. Life is looking so bright, the sun is up again, I'm feeling like I could fly, no clouds in my way, no. Later, we'll meet Daniel Zachary, who hitchhikes around the world and also works as an Uber driver in the U.S. He's going to share some of the great conversations he's had with people in a car. So I get this couple in the car. I believe this was in Texas. The guy, he looks at her. He looks at me. He looks at her. He looks at me. And he goes, I love her smell. Whenever I get into bed and lay next to her, I'm just like, she smells so good. And the smile on his wife's face 
was from beyond ear to ear. Like, you could not take it off. And I bet he uh, was more than smelling her that night. I am sure sure he was more than smelling her that night. That's coming up after the rest of my chat with Francis Tapon. The ultimate destination for armchair travelers who are looking for inspiration to get out into the real world and let loose their wanderlust. This is the Radio Vagabond. Gotta keep moving. So, after these walks, you needed another challenge? Yes, I needed to go to... I have a challenge just like you, to go to all the countries in the world. Yeah. And... I had many, even though at that point I'd been to something like 70 countries, I'd use huge empty spots. So, for example, I'd been to 70 countries, never been to Africa, never been to the Middle East. And and I hadn't been, I've only been to like three countries in Asia. So Asia, Middle East, Africa, blank spots on the map, even though I'd been to 70 countries. So I'd been to three Asian countries. So I said, okay, I live from San Francisco normally. I live in San Francisco normally. And Africa is so far away, expensive mm-hmm. flights mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. So I'm like, I, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to burn my boat. It's kind of your thing, isn't it, to go all in? Exactly. <laughs> so the previous one is I gone to Eastern Europe for three and a half years and wrote a book about that called The Hidden Europe. So that was three years in 25 countries. That was it. So I said, okay, Africa is bigger, so I'm going to need five years. And that's what I did. So I went into Morocco. No, you told me actually you thought you were going to do it in was three. It three years. Three years, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Well, you're a good Ended listener. Up, yeah. You're a good listener and I have a bad memory. <laughs> but anyway. And Africa is huge. It's, it's 25% of all the countries in the world are in Africa. 54. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. And so I decided I'm going to go and spend all this time in Africa until I will not leave the continent until I've not only visited all the countries, but also tried to climb the tallest mountain of every country. And that was my objective. So it ended up spending about five weeks on average in every country. And that was my objective. And so that's what I did. So in the end, I came in as an African virgin when I went, to, went from Spain to Morocco. Yeah. That was the first time I lost my virginity in Africa. And then from <laughs> then on, I went down West Africa, down all the way the western side of Africa, then got to South Africa and turned around and went up the east side of Africa roughly and then finished, finished off in North Africa. Did you have any visa problems? Because some of the African countries are tricky. Some are dangerous. Yes. Um, visas were a real pain in the butt. It's the worst part of traveling in Africa. Things have gotten better recently in the last five years or so, where now you can get a lot of e-visas in countries, places like Angola, which only gave me a five-day transit oh, yeah. visa. Nowadays, they give you, they're much more lax in their, in their policy. And, but there are countries like, I think, Ghana, but definitely DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, that they will not, and Algeria as well, they will not give you a visa unless you apply from your home country. So you have to go to Denmark and apply to go to Algeria I and had, I, DRC. I, had, I, had, I was in Portugal. I had to send my passport to Denmark See? to go to Ghana. That's right. So the Ghana is true. Okay, yeah. so I found out, luckily, and this is pure luck, that when I was in Dakar, that the Ghana embassy in Dakar in Senegal actually does issue visas. Ooh. So when I was in Dakar... I luckily got about seven visas to all these West African countries, cool. including Ghana. Yeah. And so, but yeah, it's just a tedious, time-consuming process. I have three passports, so that was convenient. I could drop off, you know, embas- oh, yeah. at different embassies. Yeah. But sometimes when you're moving over land from one yeah. country to the other, they will say, where's your exit stamp? Yeah. So let's say I use my Chile passport to, uh, they see they see the, the, the visa on the Chile passport and they say, well, you just exited where's your exit visa from the previous country let's say i'm in i don't know guinea bissau and i just exited senegal i'm like well i just exited it's on my american passport you have two passports why do you have two passports that's not legal i'm like 
It's not legal in your country, but it's legal in other countries. And they sometimes, have, it gives you trouble. But anyway, visas are definitely the worst. You asked about danger. Uh, there were a few sketchy moments here and there, but overall, Africa is much safer than we all think. Yeah, yeah. And the way you traveled, you located the, the mountain, you got there in almost all of them. Yeah, 50 of the 54, that's yeah. right. And the four ones I, d I didn't get to was Sudan, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Tunisia. Yeah, and there was some military problems. Yeah. yeah, in other words, all four of them have either terrorists on top or military issues, things like that, that that stopped me from getting there. I yeah. tried my darndest. I got arrested in Ethiopia. I got military escort through Darfur, which is Sudan's tallest mountain. And I begged the military in Tunisia. Nothing worked. Anyway, I tried my best. I hope to go there back someday to complete yeah. those four. Yeah. And then you uh, you had a, a car, or you changed cars along the way? Yes, I started off with a Santana Anibal, which is a knockoff of the Land Rover Defender. It was a piece of crap. It <laughs> basically, I died, and I basically got stolen in in Nigeria. And then I bought a brand new car in Benin, and that was a Toyota Hilux, and that thing is a workhorse, and that served yeah. me well. Yeah. But it, it also basically got stolen in Tanzania, effectively. So It got stolen, you never saw it again? No, yeah, I, I entrusted somebody with it, and they basically effectively stole it. Long story, but yeah, oh. yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and then one of the things that you talked about in in, in your talk here, and uh, and also done a TED talk about it, is you picked up hitchhikers, three thousand African hitchhikers. Yes. So one of the reasons I did that is well, several reasons, but when you ride in a car or you rent a car one of the problems with it is that what it creates a bubble oh yeah and so all of a sudden you are isolated from the population versus when you take public transportation you integrate with the population you have a much better chance of talking with them seeing them smelling them whatever it's just you experience that thing and you don't get that when you rent a car you don't even get that when you get a taxi yes you got a local in there but it's still not the same thing so i wanted to have that kind of local vibe and, and get to know the Africans. And so I determined to just, everywhere I could see somebody, I would offer people rides and that kind of stuff. Other times people were sticking out their thumbs, I grabbed them. Sometimes I had as many as a dozen people in my car, you know, on the roof, whatever, hanging on the side, on the pickup, everything. And that was a great thing. But there was also selfish reasons to do it, and it's counterintuitive, but actually I felt safer with them because I believe most people are good, and you've known this, and you've talked about this on your podcast too, Pale, which is, you know, you meet all sorts of good people who help you along the way. Well, that's the same thing true in back in, in when, you, when you travel anywhere. And so I pick up hitchhikers, and I know that most likely, 95%, if I pick up a bad one, there's also some good ones in the car who are going to defend me if there's ever any mm -hmm. problems that occur, if they're not going to try to rob me when there's three other locals on the, in the car. Mm -hmm. And so and there's many other benefits that I talked about in my TEDx talk, which you can see to why I picked up 3,000. Yeah, I'll, put, I'll, I'll put, a, put a link in the episode notes and on the com. Out of 3,000, did you have any bad apples? I did. Um, I, uh, so my wife uh, had this habit that took her a while to kick, she would leave her purse in the back seat and we were taking passengers in the back seat. And that's just an invitation. That's just too much of a temptation. Exactly. I mean, I would steal from her too. So I just, it's just, it was bad decision. I think, anyway, the point is, is that twice we had, once in the DRC and once in Rwanda, dig their hands into their pockets. Now, interestingly enough, in both cases, we caught the person yeah. and we got our money back. So in the end, we lost nothing. So, yeah. 
I, that was the only bad incident. I never had any other uh, terrible incident. I even in, in Sierra Leone, I picked up four men with machetes. <laughs> <laughs> There, there See, there. That, that's where I might have been going a little bit. Yeah, let me just take <laughs> the next one. But. Right. Yeah. I mean, because, again, when you spend a lot of time in Africa, I spent over five years, and eventually I end up spending eight years, is that you realize that a machete is not a scary device. It's just a tool that Africans use to cultivate crops. They need to cut down crops. And, and so to them... It's yeah, of course it can be used as a weapon, and in Rwanda it was used to kill a million Absolutely. people. I, it, it wasn't seen as threatening to me for whatever reason. And again, you could say lucky, but when you pick up three thousand hitchhikers and effectively don't have any serious incident, that tells you that's a testament that African people and people in general are good. Yeah. Have you ever hitchhiked yourself? All the time, yeah. Um, I've done it quite a bit, and. Uh, I even wrote, if you search for hitchhiking tips, you Google that, you'll see the number one article I wrote, and it was for Forbes magazine, and it'll tell you the top 10 tips for hitchhiking, because I've done a lot of hitchhiking myself. Because when I walked across America, you would need to hitchhike to get to the village down below to resupply and get more food. Down the pass. Correct, down the pass. <laughs> so you catch it at the top of the pass, and you take the ride down the pass. After you resupply, take a shower or do laundry or whatever you need to do, then you need to hitchhike back up to the pass and continue where you left off. Yeah. We're going to be talking more about hitchhiking with uh, Daniel. Uh, thank you so much. We could we could go on I for, for and hours. we have <laughs> and we have. So there's going to be a 2.0 of this conversation. Good. We're going to continue this some other time, and uh, hopefully in the not too far away future. In 2023, I will sometime in 2023. I'm going to be posting the interview of you on my podcast, The Wanderer. Really? Yes. Really. I'm not going to wait until 2025 <laughs> to do this. <laughs> so, no. so yes, I interviewed Palebo, and if you want to hear it, go to my Wander Learn podcast. It's one word: Wander and Learn together. Yeah, and uh, if people want to follow you, it's all F Tapon. So F and think of tampon without the letter M. So okay. F Tap Tapon. Yeah, and you should follow this dude because uh, he's an interesting guy. Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you, Pelebeo. It's an honor always to talk with you. From one person who's picked up a lot of hitchhikers to a guy you can find at the side of the road with a thumb in the air, Daniel Zachary from Los Angeles and My Thumb Life on Instagram and YouTube. He's on a quest to hitchhike in every country in the world. He does that half of his time, and in the other half he spends back in the United States as an Uber driver. But not just that. He's also trying to become the first Uber driver that has worked in every U.S. state. So, another crazy project. I met Daniel at lunch one day in Yerevan, and even though he's not the most traveled of the guests in this miniseries, I asked him to come on the show. Yes, I am on the way, and that is the eventual goal that I have and yeah. I want to achieve. Yeah, because not only is he totally likable with a great smile, but he's also got a cool story. And when he's accomplished some of his crazy projects, I'm able to brag about being one of the first podcasts to have him on my show. <laughs> so, Daniel, we'll get to the Uber project. But first, let's talk about hitchhiking. Where have you hitchhiked so far? I have hitchhiked in Mexico, the majority of Turkey, Vietnam. I mean, jet, I mean I've hitchhiked in most of the continents so far. Africa. I just got back from Africa last month where I went from... Um, Israel, Palestine to Ethiopia through Egypt and Sudan. Um, Did you hitchhike all that way? Yeah, the whole way. Wow. Literally from the very north of the country where I was looking at Lebanon to 
Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, mm-hmm. through the Sinai Peninsula, and um, then through Sudan, and then Ethiopia. What's the trick? How do you how do you get people to pick you up? Well, so I I have a big smile, that helps. I also travel with a skateboard. There's something about the skateboard that relaxes people. Something about it that makes me seem a lot less threatening. What I also do is I will buy a soccer jersey from the national team that I'm traveling in. So, for example, when I was in Egypt, I bought the soccer jersey from um, Mohamed Salah. I think that's mm-hmm. what his name is. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I don't like soccer. I don't care about it at all. Oh, you're American. Yeah, we don't. All I know, <laughs> all I know is that when Egyptians saw it, they would love it. So that's the reason why I bought it. Yeah. And it worked. They see it, and it's like it's relatable. Then um, they appreciate that I wear it. So. Yeah. But are there any of the countries that are more hard than other countries? Absolutely. Italy and Spain are definitely the hardest, hmm. without question. I managed to hitchhike both of them, but it takes longer, and I had to um, spend more time going to gas stations and approaching people, explaining who I am mm-hmm. and why I wanted to hitchhike, rather than just standing on the side of the road with my thumb. I've never really hitchhiked that much. I think I have, but uh, in my home country, but a uh, long time ago. And I always thought that it would maybe be better to have a, a chat with people at a gas station. Yeah, absolutely, because you can talk to them. Um, they see your face. They hear your voice. Also, mm. I always learn how to say, um, excuse me, sir or bro. Um, do you speak English? So even in Denmark... I knew they would. They spoke English, but just by saying that, you're breaking down a barrier. You're distinguishing yourself as unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do you think that person has been approached at a gas station and been asked, "Do you speak English?" Probably, maybe never in his life. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a conversation starter. Do you remember what that was? Ooh, um, <laughs> I don't. Maybe if I had a few drinks, I would. But right now, I don't. Would it be tailored to English? I think that's what. If, I don't even know if I would remember. It was a. Uh, It was yeah. It was like I was there in 2017 or something. Mm. So it was a long time ago. Well, you said you you brought a skateboard. I did get a, a ride in close to Detroit when I ran out of gas, walking on the highway uh, with a with a tank in my hand. So maybe instead of a skateboard, bring it a, a tank yeah <laughs> yeah to, to fill gas. I've also heard of people that will have like an instrument or yeah. like um, just something that will distinguish them. You know. Or what else? Um, something else that has uh, helped a lot is like I'll write something funny on the sign. Like if it's a hot summer day, I'll write like with AC, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or like uh, um, something else that I do. And actually, a psychologist told me this: whenever I hitchhike, if I am waiting for the ride while simultaneously holding an apple or a banana, it also helps me appear as less threatening mm. there's something i mean think about it seeing somebody hold an apple or a banana as opposed to a bag of chips and a cigarette or a knife or a knife yeah exactly <laughs> but something about a fruit that's healthy and wholesome yeah. it contradicts the stereotype of a hitchhiker being homeless and unhealthy and not having money or caring about his health something about a fruit is just relatable and it's not something that we're even conscious of it's totally in our subconscious but it does help wow Yeah. So, how far are you, are you on the quest? I am at 
37 countries as of as of now. Yeah. Yeah. And still you decided to go to uh, to Yerevan? Uh, yes. Because you're on the quest. I'm on the quest. It's my first time in the Caucasus, so I will be hitchhiking in Armenia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan. Mm. And... Um, You've got something to look forward to. We yeah, just came from there. yeah, and that's yeah. actually like uh, part of the fun having something to look forward to is that the when the day starts and I first put my thumb out, I have no idea who I'm going to meet, what conversation we're going to have, what what I'm going to learn. So it's there's always something to look forward to. It's that thrill of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And then I take it you take a picture in in the car with the driver. Absolutely. So I take a, a few things that I do. One is I take a selfie with. All of the drivers, and I, I also carry around this notebook with me. It's my, the possession that I'm proudest of. That's most precious to me. I will ask the drivers to write the date and the place and whatever they want in their own language. So I have journal entries, and I can show you after, even from Denmark, where I have people writing these notes that I have no idea at the time what it says, but it's 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 amazing to read these after the trip is over to see what people wrote. And it helps because I often get stopped by the police. So when I'm able to show the police, first of all, they see what people wrote. And they obviously can read the language, so they, they're they kinder towards me. Second, they can see where I came. Because I have the drivers write the date and the place, they can see where I came from and what direction I'm going. So it further helps me solidify my story of traveling in their country by hitchhike. Oh, that's so nice. So let's move on to the Uber driver uh, project, uh, because you you do live in the U.S., but you move a lot around. Right, yes. I um, travel all over the United States while working as an Uber driver. It's very similar to hitchhiking, and the reason I started doing that was I came back to the States because of COVID, and working as an Uber driver is essentially the closest thing you can get to hitchhiking. It's almost the same. The only difference is in one, I'm driving, and the other one, I'm the passenger. But the idea of just sitting in a car with a complete stranger yeah. and just seeing where that conversation goes, that's the same. Yeah. You I, ever pick up hitchhikers? I picked up several. I mean, I hardly see them. But the ones that I have seen, yeah, every single time I've picked them up. Yeah, every yeah. time. Even I, even if you're working as an Uber driver. No, 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 no. <laughs> so so driving an Uber in every state in the U.S. Uh, is is a goal. Is do you know if that's ever been done before? It's never been done before, and um, there is one guy I know who travels around the U.S. Um, and he does it. At, he travels around the U.S. as an Uber driver, but his goal is to just eat in different restaurants, and it's not necessarily to either go to every state, and it's not necessarily to um, meet the people. Um, and there's one guy who travels around these states and does DoorDash and Uber Eats, but I'm the first to travel around to all 50 states as an Uber driver, with the goal being to get to know my passengers. I'm the first one to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you travel, do you always travel alone? Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's just easier as a hitchhiker because sometimes the person only has one place in the car. Yeah. And I take it you you travel fairly light. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, not as light as I would like just because I have to be able to like sleep anywhere. So oh. I travel with a tent and a sleeping oh, bag wow. and like a um, little mattress. Because um, sometimes, you know, I... I I 
don't get picked up or it gets dark or something or the car oh the car breaks down in africa last month the cars would break down all the time and just like where was that in africa um yeah. in sudan and ethiopia uh-huh. the cars would break down all the time but here's the thing it wasn't a problem because it always became a story because you're with that person and we're both in the same boat at that point the car's broken down and there was like one time the car broke down we close to some um village we ended up sleeping um like in the village and the next morning we we went around and it was like a totally uh rural area and we 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 met the locals and they lived by the Nile we went on their boat I mean all of this happened only as a result of hitchhiking and at that the car breaking down so yeah. as long as I maintain that attitude it's okay I have the philosophy in my journey of if, if if something bad happens when I'm right in the moment I think oh this is annoying and then the next second I think oh I get a good story and that's when I start recording exactly exactly <laughs> And also just accepting the fact that you're helpless in that situation and things do happen and you yeah. just have to adapt and that's it. But then sometimes you just get your tent at the side of the road and... Yeah, yeah. Some people will say, what's your mom say to that? Oh, I, I think by now she's beyond... I mean, after doing this in like Africa and after doing this in like the Middle East, she's used to it. Yeah. I don't think she has much... Yeah. yeah. The name's Bond. Radio Vagabond. So Daniel, what are some of the things that you talk about uh, when you're uh, you're hitching a ride? So I have some questions that I like asking people when I'm hitching a ride and when I'm driving them around. So some of the questions are funny. For example, if there's a woman in the car, I love asking her, "Tell me one thing that you do not understand about men." And then I love asking men, "Tell me one thing that you don't understand about women." And it's funny because last month when I was in Africa, there was an Ethiopian woman who gave the exact same answer as a woman from Miami. So what I'm saying is, people are the same. So and then some of the questions are. And and, and what is the typical answer? Oh, the, the, so whenever I ask women, "Tell me one thing that you don't understand about men," the most common answer is just one thing. <laughs> there's so many that like. <laughs> Uh, but then some of the questions are, if there's a couple in the car, I love asking, tell me an outfit your spouse wears that makes your heart skip a beat. Because oftentimes you'll get the man who will say, she looks beautiful in her blue dress with yellow flowers. And then the wife will look at him and say, why don't you ever tell me that? <laughs> and then she'll get, like, he's giving her a compliment and, like, she's, like, angry. It's, like, very stereotypical, like, man and woman. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> And then another one. Oh, I have another funny story. Um, sometimes I love asking people, tell me about your first kiss. So I had a guy in Mississippi, and this guy went on and on about how bad his first kiss was. She was a terrible kisser. Her breath smelled. It was awful. On and on. And I've posted that on my Instagram story. He reposted it on his Instagram story. Three days later, he sends me a message. The girl who he kissed saw the Instagram story. <laughs> saw him say that. Imagine if the first girl you ever kissed, however many years later, and I asked you and you said how bad it was, and then she saw it. Like... That girl, that poor girl's probably still in therapy today. <laughs> and then um, some of the questions are more, are a bit more um, um, thought-provoking. So, for example, um, 
80 per, like statistically I think it's like 75% of comedians in the US are males and only 25% are females so I like asking people why do you think that's the case just I'm just curious to know what people think about that mm-hmm. or um, if there's like kids I like asking I have some questions that are specifically for kids like what is one thing that you can teach somebody um, what was the best day of your life um, what would you do if you had four arms? And then some of the questions, like my personal favorite question is asking men, where were you when you found out that your wife is pregnant? Because, or where were you when, you, when your wife told you that? To, where were you when your wife told you that she's pregnant? Because every story is so specific. And when you ask that to a man, it touches like a very sensitive place like it's in a very like emotional answer and you can see he gets like very happy to talk about it because it's like it brings back a very specific memory and also the, the his wife always loves hearing him talk about that i mean her head is always like like a swivel like yeah it's like hearing the uh the man talk about these things it's just very it makes them also i love i love that question because it does not matter if you're from china or Brazil or Canada, wherever in the world. That question, at some point, every woman told her husband that she was pregnant. And every man in the world can relate to hearing another man tell that story because it it transcends religion, language, everything. Mm. We all, I mean, I personally don't, but like every man who has had a child can relate to that story, can relate to that feeling. Those are some great questions. Can I steal some of those? Yeah, 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 you, you, you can. Um, oh, wow. Oh, I got another great question for you. I will never forget this encounter. I also like asking couples, tell me something about your spouse that you really like and haven't told them in a while. So I get this couple in the car. I believe this was in Texas. The guy, he looks at her. He looks at me. He looks at her. He looks at me. And he goes, I love her smell. Whenever I get into bed and lay next to her, something about her pheromones, I'm just like, she smells so good. And the smile on his wife's face was, I can't, I can't, like, imitate it even. I mean, it was from beyond ear to ear. Like, you could not take it off. She had the biggest smile on her face. She was, like, blushing. I mean, because imagine how good she felt just hearing her husband say that. I'm sure he hadn't told that in 20 years, maybe even his whole life. But, like, if anything, I would just say to people, tell your spouses something nice. Like, be kind. Tell them you appreciate them. Like, everyone needs to hear that. Everyone wants to be loved. I can just imagine the conversation after you left. Oh, my. I, 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 <laughs> and I bet he uh, was more than smelling her that night. I'm sure. <laughs> I, 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 I am sure he was more than smelling her that night. I'm sure. And that makes me feel good, you know? Like, I, I feel like, you know, I... I Help them have a good time, you know? Um, wait, wait, there was one more thing. Oh, I want to tell you something else. So as an Uber driver, there is um, nothing worse than... The reason that I like working as an Uber driver in um, college towns or touristic places are is because people are generally in good moods. Now, there is nothing worse than me picking somebody up and saying, Hey, man, how you doing? And him saying, Bro, I'm just having the worst day of my life. Because for me, I'm like, dang, like... I'm having a good day. I don't want to hear all your problems right now. But for some reason, people feel like they can just tell me the other issues, which is awful. The only thing worse than that is I've had this several times. Having two to three 
teenage girls talking about their boyfriend problems while I'm in the car. I, my God, it is like, there is nothing, there is nothing on earth that is worse and more dramatic than having teenage girls talking about their boyfriend oh. issues. It is just like, it just makes me want to like drive the car for a clip. I mean, I'm just like, I, I'll drive faster, I can't. Because there was one time, there was these three girls, and you know, like, so one was angry at her boyfriend, and the other two were like, riling her up so she got even more pissed off and it was for something so stupid and I defended the boyfriend she was pissed because she had plans to meet her boyfriend at like 7 o'clock or something and it was um, the playoffs for basketball and his the game went into overtime and he texted her saying and I'm here hearing the whole conversation she's telling her friends. And he texted her saying he can't meet until like 8 o'clock or whatever because the game's in overtime. And so she got mad at him for not being there on time. And I told her, listen, if it was me, if my wife was giving birth, I mean, I would go to the hospital, but I'd be like, damn, I'm missing the game right now too. So I can understand how this guy wants to just watch his basketball game. Leave the guy alone. like <laughs> Things that women don't understand about men. There you go. And the other way as well. Yeah. <laughs> At the conference, that ended yesterday, but um, what's your thought of uh, the community and this event? I thought it was amazing. I was blown away and so inspired. Um, especially meeting um, Tony Giles. I mean, oh, hearing yeah. him talk. Yes, Tony Giles, one of the upcoming guests in this miniseries. Tony is 100% blind and 80% deaf and still manages to travel around the world solo. Yeah, he was very inspiring. He was also very funny. So funny. You know, I, 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 he told me he was from, uh, he had been to L.A. where I grew up, mm-hmm. and I asked him how his experience was, and he said to me, the problem was that the city is so big and they didn't let me rent a car. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I, 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 like, what do you say? Like, what, yeah. what do I say to that? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. We we were we were at a bar a couple of nights ago, and I was sitting next to him chatting. And at some point, he said, uh, because it was very crowded, he said, "Can you help me find the bathroom?" So he grabbed my arm, and we walked to the bathroom. And there was a big line of people, a long line, a lot of people waiting. And they all said when they saw him, go ahead, go ahead. We don't want you to stand here. So we skipped the line. And I just whispered in his ear, we skipped the line. (laughs) And then he said, oh, I didn't see that. (laughs) Yeah, he does that all the time. And he was also talking about the advantages of being blind, which is such a, it's so counterintuitive to think. Mm. But like he was saying, when he goes to the airport, he can show up 20 minutes before the flight because he can just skip the whole line. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he was just one of the many, many truly inspiring people here. And not only the people that were on stage, but I think I counted 28 people that have been to more than 150 countries and um, 15 that have been to all uh, 193. And two of the three people on the planet that had been to every country in the world twice was here as well. So really an inspiring group and not only the speakers. Absolutely, yeah. I I think one of the most inspiring thing is not just the people that were impacted here, but take Romain, for example, who's the first Jamaican to have traveled to every country in the world. Every 
child in Jamaica and in the Caribbean, because he's the first person from the Caribbean also, I believe, to have, to have traveled in every country, mm-hmm. will look at him and think, like, if he can do it, I could do it. And it, so the impact that people here are making does not just affect them or the community that was here, but it affects every single child that's living right now in Jamaica. Or, for example, the lady who had been the first one to... The Filipino lady mm-hmm. who had traveled to every country in the world. It doesn't only affect her or us that were at the convention. It also has a huge impact on every child in the Philippines. And especially the females also who look at a female role model and think, if she can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. And with those words, I'm so glad we got a chance to uh, to sit down and chat. Are you coming to the next one? Absolutely. Oh, my. I can't wait. Where I, do you want it to be? I would love for it to be in Los Angeles. No, <laughs> that's too no, easy. No, no, no. Where would I like it to be? Uh, you know, um, maybe somewhere in Asia. That would be cool. I haven't seen too much of Asia. Mm. And I'm sure the food would be great. I'm sure it'd be interesting. And yeah, probably cheaper to get to. Yeah. So... And I can't wait to follow you. Uh, and where can people follow your journey? So you can follow me on social media and YouTube at My Thumb Life. Oh, my thumb life. Good one. Put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time. In the next episode, you can meet Boris Kester, a Dutch traveler who's been to every country in the world. At a very young age, I already started uh, counting the countries I had been to. So I was writing it down in a diary like, oh, I've, this is country number 20. And <laughs> I was not even 10 years old. I was already drawing flags in, in my in my book. And Gustav Rosted a young Danish YouTuber with roots in the Faroe Islands who used to be a professional football player. I am Danish, I would say. I grew up in Denmark and I feel 100% Danish. But I have played for the Faroe national team against Denmark, which was very weird for me because when I hear the national song from Denmark, it touches my heart. Yeah, So that was a very strange experience. Meet both Boris and Gus in a few days right here on the Radio Vagabond. My name is Pat Lebeau. See ya. Radio Produced by RadioGuru.co.uk.